Hello, everybody. Matt, you there? Yep, I'm here. All right. So you're Matt, and I'm Zach, and we are MZ Car Guys. This is the MZ Car Guys podcast, which I guess is kind of an obvious statement. Uh, find us on social media, MZ Car Guys, uh, and especially at um, MZ uh, at Anchor Anchor FM forward slash MZ Car Guys. Uh, so, in continuing our uh, Germans, uh, Matt, who's next? Volkswagen. The people's car. Absolutely. So many. Th- yeah. Volkswagen is this really. I'm, I'm more conflicted probably about Volkswagen than I am with any other auto manu- automotive manufacturer, maybe even more than General Motors. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, they're the second place, but it's, it's, it's a pretty far cry to second place. Um, let's get one quick fact out of the way. And this is from Wikipedia, so take it with a grain of salt you need. Um, they were founded on 28th of May, 1937, by the German Labor Front under Adolf Hitler and headquartered in Wolfsburg, Germany. <clears throat> So I'm going to, and, and, I, and I, I've been doing a lot of research going into this because I had, so one of my earliest memories myself um, is my, my parents had a, a 1972 Super Beetle. It was yellow. And some of my earliest memories are of that car. So, and, and I personally had uh, later on in life, um, I had for about three, four, but no, about four or five years, I had a, a 72 Super Beetle of my own. It was blue and multitude of other colors and so forth. Um, so my, my love of the physical vehicle itself, the, uh, the, the Beetle um, and, and other uh, earlier Volkswagens and stuff, and, and it's easy for some people to directly attribute it directly tie it to nazi germany and you can in a way but it's not completely fair and and i'll explain so and i'm trying not to bore everybody you know here just really really super quickly the 1920s were a horrid time for the people of Germany. Absolutely horrible. Um, the, the war reparations um, from the, the, uh, the, the Paris Treaty of 1918 that ended World War, II, uh, World War I um, and just the, because you, you had a depression in in, uh, in, in a monetary sense, um, where rapid, crazy inflation was just nuts. Um, but you also had this, and, and if anybody knows anything about Germany and just that whole surrounding area, they're a very proud people. Um, and, 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 and I don't mean that in, in a negative way. Um, I, I, I think German people 
are probably the only people other than maybe Americans who have just this national pride in themselves um, more than just about any other people, I think. Would you say that, Matt? I, yeah, absolutely. I, yes. And so when when they when they lost the the when they lost World War One, it was a huge hit to their to uh, to to their to their national sense of self. Um, and it really truly this this malign this this melancholy really truly allowed the Nazis to come forward because basically when people are depressed um, it's very easy to make a lot of promises to get their vote um, as, as uh, I, I can't remember who said it first but I've always loved the saying, if you rob Peter to pay Paul, you can always count on Paul's vote. Um, and this is kind of what the, 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 the Nazi Germany wanted to do. Um, and they created some pretty, you know, some, some real innovative things. Um, a lot of <clears throat> a lot of uh, German engineers um, were really drawn to the Nazi party, not necessarily because they entirely held their views. Um, it's, you know, it, it's uh, two of the most famous would, of course, be uh, Werner von Braun and uh, Dr. Ferdinand Porsche. Um, but they were, they were, drawn to them in the sense of this wanting to achieve, you know, uh, these engineering feats and the Nazi party basically was just, you know, had a, had blank checks that they were just handing out, you know, in, 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 in the, in the early to mid 1930s. And part of this was the, uh, was uh, the KDF? Um, hold on, I'm trying to. So it, I'm gonna. I know I'm, I'm gonna try this, Matt. Kraft, Dirk, Freude. I think I said that correctly. Anyways, it, it it's it's through it's it's German for strength through joy. And it was a whole. Um, it, it was it was a whole social experiment, and that was to to really build up this national sense of pride to bring Germany out of this, you know, this depression, um, you know, mentally by offering vacations and little, uh, you know, just putting on different plays and stuff like that. So just trying to trying to really do all of this stuff. And part of that was the KDF wagon, which was, which is what its official name was, you know, KDF wagon. 
um, but it was billed as this Volkswagen, these, this people's car. And so the name Volkswagen wasn't really officially applied to this until after World War II. So it's, it, you know, the, the idea of it, yes, did spring from, 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 from the Nazis, uh, you know, during World War II, but the, the true company itself really did not come to fruition um, and, and I think can really be looked at, and as we'll get into here in just a second, I, I think you can really look at Volkswagen, you know, actual Volkswagen as the, the healing agent for Germany after World War II. What do you think, Matt? Um, that's an awful lot to, uh, to back up. Well, let me, let me put it to you this way. So let me, let, let, let me make my case like this. <clears throat> so the KDF wagon, so, so the, 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 the KDF wagon program, the, the, the strength through joy program, um, basically you had a, a little voucher system kind of a thing where if, uh, if you put five uh, Reich marks away per day, uh, hold on, so five marks a week you must put aside if you want to drive your own car, um, which around a little over 35,000 people did, and they eventually paid into it. However, the entire project was a failure. Uh, financially? And they made, you know, they, they, they didn't start production on, on, on the vehicle until like right at 1938, like at the end of 1938. So, you know, like, I mean, they barely got a handful of these cars built the vast majority of which went to Nazi leadership, never made it to the people, the people's car never made it to the people. Um, and then they converted um, the, uh, the, the, the chassis into wartime. So they became the Kubler-Wagens, uh, which was kind of like this little scout car, command car. Um, and then you had the Schwimmwagens, which was this amphibious scout car, kind of really cool. I love, love Schwimmwagens. Um, but it never really made it to the, uh, yeah, it, it never really made it into the hands of the people. So Volkswagen, as, as an actual thing, never really happened under Nazi Germany in reality. I mean, if, if you really truly want to, I, and, and as much respect as I have for Dr. Ferdinand Porsche, I really truly think that the, 
the real, I guess you could call it a stepfather to Volkswagen would have to be uh, Major Ivan Hurst of the British of the British Army because he went in so right after World War II. For those of you who aren't up on your your history, so right after World War II, Germany was broken up into several uh, several military uh, districts controlled by different, you know, one was controlled by America, one was controlled by, sorry, one was controlled by the United States, one was controlled by Great Britain, one was controlled by France, one was controlled by Russia. Um, and um, what would later become Wolfsburg, uh, because it's uh, uh, Stadt de KDF, or hold on, what do they call the city? Anyways, what, what would later become Wolfsburg, Germany, um, was inside of the British zone, controlled zone. And um, what, a lot of, what a lot of people don't realize is, is that there was a, a huge uh, public crisis right after World War II in Germany, uh, there was a lot of a lot of uh, German citizens were killed um, in very brutal ways, and th there was, you know, most of most, if not all, of the uh, uh, the the manufacturing was either partially or completely and utterly destroyed. Um, the company was in a, or the, the country was in a complete freefall. Um, I mean, it was just absolute chaos. And um, Ivan Hurst, Major, Major Hurst, was able to really start the healing process by putting together. And, um, and building these little beetle cars, um, you know, at first giving them to, uh, you know, to some of the soldiers and stuff and, and everything, and really had a vision. And he was the only one because so many companies it was, it was offered to. It was offered to so many different countries, free. It was, it was offered to Ford for free. Okay, I I, I want to say that again. the The entire factory at Wolfsburg and the whole KDF wagon program was offered to Henry Ford II. For free and he turned it down because he was advised that it wasn't worth a dime um, and it was truly Major Hearst's vision and the pushing it forward and the 
um, uh, him and, uh, and, and Heinrich Nordhoff um, really put it all together, organized the workforce. Um, they, 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 they were able to get the factory up and running. Um, it, it had basically been bombed several times. They were able to get it up and running, able to patch the roof slightly. Uh, they couldn't afford to put windows in it. So production had to stop when it was raining. I mean, they just, it, but the, it, it really focused this, this, this little tiny community. And from that focus, it's actually shown that it built, it, it brought Germany out of this destruction that you, that, that probably would have taken them at minimum a decade longer to come back out of it. Um, and, and it was eventually, and rightly, I think, um, it, it, because no one else would purchase it, it was taken over by the local government and was run as a government entity for, for many, many years. Um, and eventually this, just this wonderful little car. Cause it, and that's what it is. It's just, it's a wonderful feat of engineering. You have this air-cooled engine. It was designed as air-cooled so that you could go up into the mountains because, you know, Germany's famously right on the Alps and stuff like that. So you could actually drive it up into the mountains um, without worrying that your car was either going to freeze because there was really no antifreeze in cars at that time. Uh, so, so two major things, uh, two major advancements uh, hadn't been done yet uh when the when this car was uh first designed in the in the in the late 20s early 30s um you had uh it was cars would overheat uh constantly going up over mountain passes because of course the the temperature at which water boils goes down as you go up in elevation. So as you drive cars up into, uh, because they didn't have pressurized coolant systems. Uh, it's um, when, you, when you pressurize a, a, a water, you actually uh, increase the boiling, to, uh, uh, the, 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 the boiling temperature, uh, which is why pressure cookers are so effective because they can cook at a much higher temperature before water boils off. Um, and so that same basic idea kind of works with coolant systems. Uh, also, um, glycol-based uh, antifreeze uh, wasn't invented until later, later on. So an air-cooled engine actually did better in those early days. It was much more reliable. I mean, the, the, the entire, the, the air-cooled Volkswagen engine is just a marvel of, of engineering, um, which some planes, some small single-prop planes still use to this day. 
Um, and so, you know, but the rest of the car, I mean, it's just, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's unsafe because, you know, if you get into an accident, you are the crumple zone um, and stuff like that. But, um, you know, but the, the, the Volkswagen Beetle, uh, which is what its name would later become, um, that's the Type 1. You also have the Carmen Ghia, uh, which um, was uh, designed by uh, Carmen um, at the time. And uh, then later the Type 2, which is uh, the, the bus and the truck variant and stuff and then later the 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 type three the 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 square back the notch back and the fast back um but it's it's funny to me because in 1972 was it 72 or was it dadgummit hold on Um, da, 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 da. 72. 72. So in 1972, the Volkswagen Beetle passed the Ford Model T as the most produced car ever. Uh, it eventually would go on to, I believe, somewhere around 25, 26 million units of the Volkswagen Beetle. Um, so by, by a single, because uh, I, I think the record for the most amount of, the most amount of units of a single nameplate, uh, I believe is the Toyota Corolla. Yes. Um, but, but for chassis, it, but for chassis, you know, even though it went over, it went through some modifications, but it never went through a complete rebuild. Um, from the 1938 all the way up until, I believe, 2003 is when the well, last for, for chassis it was beat up by the Fiat 124. Which was used by the um, by the um, Warsaw Pact and Soviet bloc countries um, during that entire time, the Tata and so on. Okay. And the the, the Lada, sorry, the Lada and all of its sort of subsidiaries were all Fiat one two four. I believe that's the number. I know it was a Fiat, but anyway, but the Volkswagen was is um, number two in the world. So but but but. But it's just funny that in in nineteen in nineteen fifty eight or nine no sorry in in, in nineteen forty eight or forty nine you know it was offered to Henry Ford the second and he said no it's not worth a dime yeah. and barely three decades later it surpasses the Model T. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, you know, and, and then, and, and that's the true roots of, you know, of Volkswagen itself. So, by, 19, 
55 sales on the basis that warranted the building of a Volkswagen plant on a 2 acre site on Scarborough's Golden Mile. To this, a 60,000 square foot building with administration, showrooms, service, repairs, and parts was built in 1957 with storage for $4 million worth of parts. Wow. Wow. I mean, I mean that, I, I think to, and that's just the engineering part of it that, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's another thing to talk about how the, the Volts, the air-cooled Volkswagens um, would, you know, originally this idea that the Nazis came up with to, you know, to kind of unite the people around the cause would later unite many countercultures, uh, the hippie movement, um, <laughs> oddly enough, very much against war, um, would truly embrace the Volkswagen um, in, in, in a way culturally that, I mean, other than I think the Model T, the Volkswagen Beetle, I, I mean, I, I know that the the Ford Mustang was important, but I don't think on the same level. Um, yeah. it's, and the, I think the best year for the first five years. And I think you can maybe say, as far as cultural influence, and I'd hate to you know to 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 add any fuel to the the fire that is the ego of, of Elon Musk, but maybe the Model S? Yeah, over the last three years or so. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I Very you short, know, you know. <clears throat> time frame. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to make a judgment call like that, you know, so, so early in, in the, in, in the thing of it, but, you know, because we're living this right, you know, we're living that culture of revolution right now, you know. Um, so anyway, and we'll get back to that because I, I have a feeling that Volkswagen in the future will be a significant uh, influence on the adoption of usable electric cars for the mass public. Absolutely. So anyways. But yeah, but then you then you move on to go what's up? The eight hundred volt network that they're developing specifically for the Porsche Taycan is coming to other cars later. So that that's a huge, huge deal. Oh yeah. I mean that that allows um you know I, I think if if that's adopted um 
I mean, even if you go to, I think, uh, I think the 460 volt, uh, you know, would be, or uh, sorry, uh, 460 kilowatts um, is is going to be a significant um, impact on 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 electric cars. If if the if the 400, I think it's 460 watt, um, you know, you is because uh, there's been ever since our, our podcast on electric cars, a lot of new things have come out. Um, it, it seems like every single day I'm reading about some kind of new advancement in, in electric cars and, and so forth and so on. And you have now this Chinese company that's, that's coming in and, and really kind of making a name for itself. And uh, uh, you know, so anyways, but back to Volkswagen, I mean, you know, you had, eventually the beetle had to be replaced uh, with emission standards and safety standards um, in, in, in the general world other than, you know, say places where safety concerns and emissions concerns weren't nearly as prevalent, i.e. Mexico and South America <laughs> for the most part. Um, you know, the Volkswagen had to be, you know, the, the Beetle had to be replaced, you know, and it was replaced by uh, the Golf uh, quite successfully. The Golf was a very, very big, not as big of a success as the Beetle, of course. Um, and then you have really cool vehicles like the Scirocco and real good advancements like the VR6, um, you know, later on in life. Um, through the 90s, I, I think they um you know you, you had some i don't know they, they, they kind of really established themselves as a company in the 90s um as the powerhouse uh because in 2016 2017 uh they were by unit production the largest automotive manufacturers in the world uh the the the, the volkswagen group So. so that's a good segue, actually. Let's talk a little bit. I'm going to talk a little bit about the uh, Volkswagen Group because um, I don't think a lot of people realize just how pervasive this company has become in terms of oh, itself. Oh, my gosh. So and I'm going to give you the brief some overview. Of the most impressive cars out oh, yeah. there right now are part of the Volkswagen Group. Okay. I'm going to get here. Here's the basics. You can get a car manufactured by the Volkswagen Group for as little as roughly 20 grand or over a million dollars. Here we go. This is the cars. Audi, Volkswagen, Skoda, Seat, Porsche, Lamborghini, and Bentley. I think you and I are really good friends just because of the fact that you can actually pronounce the names correctly. I actually, I actually, in my research today, I found a, uh, a little, uh, a little YouTube video clip of Portia saying its name correctly. And I posted that to Facebook. I, I'm not, <laughs> I'm really not because I think it's so obvious 
Like, I can't understand any other... There's no argument against it. How can you not... It's always Porsche. Porsche, Porsche, Porsche. Always Porsche. Always Porsche. Unless you're being, like, glib and, like, really... Um, not conversational, but but really, really casual. Like, hey, dude, nice Porsche. Other than that, there's no reason not to pronounce the final E. It's not French. It's like calling a Maserati Quattroporte. Yeah, that's Quattroporte. It always is. It always will be. It always has been. Yeah. So the, the, the thing that Volkswagen is really, really good at, the thing that they brought to the fore before anyone else that has been really copied for good reasons across the industry is chassis sharing or platform sharing, however you want to phrase that. So the MQB architecture, which is the first example of that, um, which is all of the compact and midsize car-like crossover-ish vehicles on the market in the Volkswagen Group is a good but not great chassis. And I'm not going to get into this right now, but the MQB architecture is the reason Dieselgate happened. Mm. Because yeah, we'll get, we'll get into that in a second. Right. It did not design room for a urea tank in the chassis. Yeah. But, um, See, I, I think I think I think the Volkswagen group did what General Motors tried to do. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But on a much more successful level. Because when GM when General Motors did platform sharing and, um, and, and drivetrain sharing and, and technology sharing and stuff like that, it made, they, they did it in a way to make them cheaper. Not less expensive, but make them cheaper. Right. And that, and that really showed in itself. Okay. But when Volkswagen did it, they made it, they did it to be less expensive. Right. They made, made it a better value. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and even though I think, you know, in some areas that, that, that German complexity um, is still very pervasive. It always will be. And, and I think um, even though the reliability can definitely be there i think a lot of people think of volkswagen as being not very reliable um what they're actually seeing is they're seeing not necessarily the unreliability of it but the complexity of it and you cannot fix a volkswagen cheaply agreed yeah. whereas with a say like a Honda or a Toyota, you have that reliability just without the massive complexity. Right. And, and the, the main reason for that, I believe, um, is all the parts that the Japanese manufacturers store in the U.S. to avoid the shipping costs and all that other stuff. It's just, it's all right here, ready to go at your fingertips. Uh, I mean, yeah. Real quick, real quick. The main reason that Ford and GM products in general, broad statement, are so inexpensive to fix and maintain 
is because the not only are the parts ubiquitous, but because they change so little over the year. Like, a, how long was the Fox Buddy Mustang around? Like 12 years, give or take? Uh, 1983 to 2004, I believe. Good God. Okay. So you, when you have 20 plus years of the same model, yeah, parts are going to be everywhere. You know, you can yeah. get a fuel pump for 20 bucks, 50 bucks at the most. I mean, it's going to be nothing. Um, oh, I mean, know. yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, you could argue that. Cheers. What's that? I said the, the Japanese Honda and Toyota change their cars every five, six years. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. well, last, Matt. I don't want to gripe on the American stuff, but last thing, promise. Okay. On the <clears throat> I was watching this. It was awful. It was a promo slash documentary meant to be news, but it was actually just marketing material on the, uh, the current gen Mustang when it first came out, the 2015 with IRS. And okay. the, yeah. the flashes across the screen as it says, in the 50 years since the Mustang first launched, it has been changed a total of six times. My first thought oh my was, gosh. that's not legacy, that's laziness. Get off your ass. <laughs> oh. oh, that's awesome. Okay. Anyway. So I, I, I want to segue into this next section um, and, and, and I want to do this um, in kind of a good cop, bad cop way. So <laughs> I can hear, I can hear your hands rubbing. So oh, yes. I'll start, I'll start with being the good cop and then you good. can come in with the bad cop. So the, the TDI, uh, the, <laughs> The the turbocharged direct injection yes. engine yes. is amazing. It um it is a an engineering marvel all on its own. Um it did what Mercedes wanted to try and do but never really succeeded lower than six cylinders. I mean, a, a lot of people in history have made four-cylinder turbo diesels um, with varying levels of success. But the TDI... Um, Especially when you know with with its common rail fuel injector system, um, it, it was able to uh, inject at a much higher pressure. Um, that way, being able to atomize uh, the, uh, the the air fuel mixture much more uh, completely, so you were able to get much better efficiency <clears throat> um, with it. Than, um, than with any gasoline engines um, or, or, or even larger diesels of that time. 
Um, the other thing was is that the the, the TDI because in the and I, I believe it was in the eighties um, diesel that was produced in America or the 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 United States. Well, let's just say North America because I because I think that's that that's a pretty good statement in North America versus what was produced over in Europe started to diverge quite significantly uh, in it in its sulfur, you know, the amount of sulfur and stuff like that, because in in America, in in the in the in North America, you have large uh, large agricultural, and so producing a um a very dirty diesel fuel for uh for for tractors and and heavy equipment and stuff like that um it's really hard to market hey we're going to give you this but your diesel pickup truck has to run on something else and of course you know that that would not have flown very well so the the advantage of the tdi was that it could burn efficiently on anything you threw at it um which is also why another factor in volkswagen not using uh, a, re a urea discharge in the uh, in, in the exhaust stream, um, mainly just because they didn't want to, because it, it they they were able to get insane fuel economy with power. Probably one of the most surprising vehicles I've ever driven. And, and, and I say surprising is I drove a, uh, I think it was like a 2010 Jetta TDI wagon stick shift. And just the, just the immediate torque of it was just amazing. It was just absolutely amazing. And, and I remember on my test drive, and I drove that pretty hard on the test drive, and I got back to the dealership, and the salesman said, I just want to point out something. And he showed me, after my basic flogging of this vehicle, he showed me my current drive fuel economy, and I was at over 40 miles per gallon. I, I was I was completely blown away, completely blown away. But Matt, take it away. It's dirty as hell. <laughs> okay, so here's 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 where things start off. Is and... so it strangles spotted owls by the dozens. <laughs> no, I will fully admit. I'm going to have to look up when this 
very poorly named uh, Dieselgate. Okay, September 2015. Okay. Sometime in 14, late 14, early 15, and don't quote me on that exactly, um, the venerable car and driver got a hold of a Jetta TDI or something similar. Might have been a Passat. Doesn't matter. It was TDI, and it was roughly that size. And they did the usual performance testing, and they noted in the review that something really unusual happened, which is that the car ran more aggressively. The car ran more um, sp- ran sportier, basically, um, with traction control on than it did with traction control off. And that was unusual, but, you know, whatever, it's a Volkswagen, so duly noted, moving on. I thought that was a rather odd, especially for the time. You know, traction control wasn't what it is today, five years later, as it was 2014. Yep. And didn't think a, a whole lot of it, but I put it in the back of my brain. And then in late 2015, think, and don't quote me on that time frame, some university students were doing some independent emissions testing, and they one of the cars that they used was a TDI I car. I, I believe it was Kentucky State University. Okay, we'll go with that. Um, and they did pretty comprehensive emissions testing and um, used methods similar to what's used in the uh, in a California smog check mm-hmm. with a uh, with an emissions um, uh, anyway instrument um, clamped onto the exhaust pipe. And what they discovered was is that the emissions were much lower, dramatically lower, and I, and I don't quote me this, but it's something around 20 times lower with a traction control off than it was with it on. And they dug further into this, and they realized that all the emissions testing performed by the U.S. government is done with traction control off to give the purest version of the how the car performed. So you won't have anything yep. with it and cuts out and it cuts power to the car and so on and so forth right i love the fact i i love the fact that the people doing the study it took them almost a year to release their uh to release their findings because they kept thinking it was their equipment that was failing right right they had they were they were so incredulous that this might actually be the case they were retesting 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 just to confirm the data was true before they would do anything at all really good point because so, it was so off right so off <laughs> and it was so far from what they had published it was going to be now here's okay most people know some version of that story right and the i'm going to just, just go ahead and say it, the shit storm that followed what Boy, most people yeah. don't know is here's the here's the part that is so german you could wrap it up in a sausage and people would believe it. Is the European Union, sorry, European Union bylaws around emissions at the time say something along the lines of if you can create the software to make your car pass emissions, that's okay. And we will pass it. Yeah. So, yeah okay what you have is a situation where the germans volkswagen created a car 
that was past EU regulations by having the traction control software also control power coming out of the out of the engine to create a lower emissions profile but they didn't factor in American law and that's where they got cut up yeah that is possibly the most German thing I've ever heard yeah Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think you know, I, I can't. It, it's, it's, it's on the level of billions. I mean, it is. You know, I mean, you have, in, in, you know, I think. Uh, uh, so on January seventh, two thousand seventeen, former top emissions compliance manager for Volkswagen uh, was arrested by the FBI on charges of conspiracy to defraud the United States. Uh, on the 11th of January 2007, VW pleaded guilty to conspiracy to defraud the U.S. government and obstructing the federal investigation, and agreed to pay 2.8 billion, billion in criminal fine and 1.5 billion in civil penalties. <laughs> top of which. They overpaid for every car, every TDI in the USA to pull off the market. Absolutely. Yeah. And here, here, here's the last bit. Here's the last bit that's also not well known. <laughs> Volkswagen was actually in the process of phasing out TDI in the US anyway. Yep. Because, because what they discovered was 80 to 90% of all TDIs bought in the US were bought by European expatriates. Yeah. It was such a small segment of the market. They were like, why do we even bother? Yeah. Now, one of the things that I have to say, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to put a slight bright twist on all of this, well, is good. that, yeah, 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 back to the good cop scenario, is that from all of this, um, and, 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 and I have to give, I have to give Volkswagen kind of an, a, 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 a bit of a pat on the back because they didn't bury their heads in the sand with this. They, they, they did a very German thing. And, and it's one of the things that truly impresses me about Germany itself. And that is that even though something bad happened and they got caught and exposed to the world, um, they didn't let it define who they are. They let it be who they were, but they did not allow it to define who they are. And more importantly, they refused to let it influence who they will become. And the reason why I say that is, is that part of this, um, you know, part, part of the, uh, uh, of the, the EPA, the, the U S uh, department uh, of, you know, environmental protection agency, 
part of their kind of uh, reparations that they had to do um, was on top of paying billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars that they had to form what was called Electrify America. Um, and it, it, got, it basically, it, it manages a $2 billion program to increase the amount of chargers across the United States. And the reason why I'm, I'm impressed with Volkswagen is because it would have been so easy to just hand $2 billion off to say like ChargePoint or, or EVgo and just put more chargers out there. You know what I mean? Okay. Matt, well, it, it would have been easy for them to do that. Sure. But what they did was, is they took it seriously and they're truly wanting to make it into something that, that they're really pushing forward with, you know, a real electric car program. And, uh, and I'm quite impressed by that actually. So go ahead with your bad cop. Three liter V6 TDI engine used extensively in the Audi lineup used in the Porsche Cayenne had its own trick up its sleeve. They didn't use traction control. What they did was they said, okay, steering sensor, right? Don't jump the gun, buddy. Sorry. They said, okay, when you're going in a straight line, you will have meh acceleration and everything will be emissions control. Because they know that when you're on the on the emissions dyno that your you know steering wheel is straight. As soon as the steering wheel passes 15 degrees of rotation, all the emission controls go out the window. And the yeah. car gets a full power back and all the emissions suddenly blow up. I give them one point for being clever and a whole lot of negative points for being sneaky as fuck. Yeah. We're not, we're not talking about 50% more emissions. We're not talking about 100% more emissions. We're talking about on the order of somewhere around 20 times the emissions. Oh, yeah. Because no, it's way to fit a urea tank in the car. Well, it was more than just that. I, I know. I know. I'm being reductionist. But yeah, but that's that's the core of the problem. And everything stemmed from that. Because if you ask a, a VW engineer under oath when they were designing the whatever the current version VW, like Jetta TDI was, what was the major problem with emissions regular emissions compliance? They would say there wasn't room in the MQB for a urea tank. Well, the, and, and, and that's and that's because they were they yeah they didn't design the vehicle with that in mind. Right, exactly. They designed it around a gas engine, which fine, 
And then they went, and then Volkswagen came back to them later and said, okay, now that the chassis is done, we're going to put the TDI in. And everyone went, wait, wait, what? It's like, uh, okie dokie. And, and apparently the engineers, so the story goes apocryphally, came back and said, no, you're not. And Volkswagen said, yes, you are. And they went, software, we need to talk to you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and software, yeah. went, software came back six months later and said, this is the only possible solution we can come up with that will even give us a chance of being compliant. And, en- and the engine and chassis side went, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I mean, I just, but I, but I think, I think in, you know, I, I, I think in the future, you're, you're going to see Volkswagen really kind of move forward with it. And I, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I, they're really trying to, to move themselves in a direction that, you know, with, with, with electrification that they've really kind of taken up that mantle seriously. Um, and I, and I'm very, I'm very proud of Volkswagen for, for making that step. Um, they've got, a, you know. they, have a, they have a lot of work to do for sure to re and v, the VW badge in, in particular, right? I mean, they, they justifiably went through some really tough economic times and there were a lot of dealerships that nearly folded because of it. And I have trouble feeling sorry for them, but going back to the subsidiaries for a second, you have Bentley, Lamborghini. Nobody cares about Skoda and say out in the US, which is fine. Bugatti. Thank you, Bugatti. I forgot about Bugatti. I'm, I'm, I apologize for that. How did you forget about Bugatti? You know what? Wikipedia didn't tell me. That's how I forget. Sometimes um, I don't even know who you are. <laughs> right. So it's, it's not 20 grand to 1 million. It's 20 grand to 2 million. Um, yeah. You know, because the, the Chiron Devo, that's it, Devo, is something like 2.5. Um, yeah. But... That's, that's the other thing. Okay, you have you have one of a handful of definitively categorized hypercars in the world in the Chiron. And even the journalists don't seem to give a damn. The fact that it's fast, everyone knows. The fact that it can go around corners is really impressive and is a big advantage over the Veyron. But no one seems to care. You, I feel like you got about half the press the McLaren Senna got. I don't know which one is faster on a track. Maybe it depends on what track it is. I don't know. I think but it's the Senna. It probably is the Senna. It certainly got the power to weight ratio in its favor. If the Schroll were any heavier, it would be a it would be a back. I don't know what am, what am I thinking? Think of one of those mining trucks that's twenty feet tall. Yeah. Um, with fifty three inch tires, but um, it's. The, the thing keeping Volkswagen alive is the fact that they make that they make and sell so many cars that don't have their badge on them. 
that's what kept him alive. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And and real briefly, because we're running out of time here, real briefly, my biggest problem with Portia, and we'll talk about Portia later in depth, because I have yes. a rant, is the fact that their number one selling car is a midsize SUV and the number two selling car is a compact SUV. Yep. And my third problem with them is is that in the year 2018, 40% of all the 911s sold were GT models. Yeah. So um, there's a lot more to, to plumb here. Um, and I'm actually going to come back to a bit of history that kind of got glossed over and some of the history buffs and some of the soci- sociology and anthropology people are going to yell at me if we don't talk about. But real quick, Porsche finally admitted, sorry, I apologize, Volkswagen finally admitted in 1998 that when they were working in the early factories, one second, let me get this quote right. This is really important. This is major stuff here. Is that um, you're right. None of the cars that people paid into were actually delivered. But more importantly, that they used slave labor. 15,000 slaves were used during the war effort. Yep. Mostly from the Arbeitsdorf concentration camp. Yep. Concentration camp. Mm-hmm. It wasn't and, glossed over. I mean, it, it, it's what I was trying to do is I was trying to make a huge distinction between KDF and Volkswagen. Oh, yeah. No, very, very, very yeah. important. In fact, um, the, the name you were looking for earlier, uh, the original name of Wolfsburg was actually the. Um, Stadt des KDF Wagens. Yeah. Which the town specifically formed for the, the purpose built factory. Yeah. Which became Wolfsburg, which is that's damn impressive in its own right. A town that was developed to build a factory became such a major metropolis. And mm-hmm. well, metropolis might be too strong, but Wolfsburg is is on the map for sure. It's not some second thought. Yeah. So, Anyway, we're running, we're running over time. We like to keep this under an hour. We failed. But yep. um, we do that quite a bit. You think is important, guys? Definitely email us at mdcarguys at gmail.com. Um, you can also Absolutely. On, on the Twitter and the Instagram. And um, anything else, Zach? No, I think that's about it. I think we've. Well, uh, Matt, thank you much as always. Cheers. Have a good night. Vroom, vroom. Right.